Hello one, hello all, welcome to the Politics Mostly podcast. I am your host, Peter Ramirez. Uh, Sorry if I sound a little stuffy today. (laughs) Probably not the best for podcasting, but uh, fighting through a little bit of a cold over here. Uh, Today I have a special episode for the less than 100 of you who actually listen to this incoherent ramble that I like to call part podcast, part venting session, part therapy. (laughs) I stumbled across this great collection of articles in The Atlantic, organized by Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor over there. They call it unthinkable, 50 moments that define an improbable presidency. Now, Some of these are just outright scandals. Uh, Some of this is blatant corruption. um, But some of these are just weird or non-presidential moments we've seen so far with Trump. The piece lists the 50 weirdest moments of Trump's presidency through the first two years. And so I'm going to go through them one by one and briefly talk about them and what I find most interesting about them. And I'm going to keep them short. Don't worry. Maybe sprinkle in a B-minus joke here and there. (laughs) And then ideally rank them myself. Almost make a game out of it, right? The Saudis renting floors of Trump Hotel versus Trump gutting EPA protections for clean water. Which is worse? Which scandals rank too high or too low? And I'm doing this for two reasons. One, when I read this list initially the other day, I was shocked with how much dumb shit this guy does. There's really no other way to say it. Dumb shit. <laughs> I've heard of every one of those uh, the stories listed in the piece, but because the news cycle is so fast these days, you almost forget about them. And it's important to remember these stories before voting this fall. And two, there's a lot of tangible anxiety within Democratic circles right now. Moderates are consolidating and pushing a candidate that some don't feel enthused about. You have progressives, they're accusing the establishment of rigging the process. And when you sit back and look at what's at stake in the general election, it's it's really grounding. And you do that through a process like ranking the dumb shit President Trump does. <laughs> so don't worry about unifying the party in the summer. Donald Trump will do that for us. Let's begin. 50. Trump touching the magic orb in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) I remember this one. Al-Sisi of Egypt, King Solomon of Saudi Arabia, and Donald Trump, the holy grail of crime fighting, (laughs) took that memorable picture uh, with their hands on the glowing orb. What did that orb represent? Terrorism? Freemasonry? (laughs) It was such a cringeworthy picture that I honestly thought they all sacrificed a lamb to Satan after that picture was taken. (laughs) 49. Tom Price, then Health and Human Services Secretary, chartered international flights at taxpayer expense. I know what you're thinking, right? What a normal-ass controversy. A cabinet official charging taxpayers over $500,000 in travel expenses on fancy airplanes? But... This scandal was important for two reasons. One, it proved that the whole drain the swamp mantra was in fact just that, a mantra. (laughs) And two, if Tom Price had just weathered that storm, 
like all these other corrupt cabinet officials, right? Scott Pruitt, David Shulkin, Ryan Zinke. He could have been kicking people off health insurance to this day. What a missed opportunity. 48, Trump praising Congressman Gianforte for body slamming a reporter. (laughs) Sometimes you just read the headlines and it's kind of like, well, that's, you know, you don't have to know what happened there. The headline alone is enough to inform you. And it's just so self-explanatory. You know, it's one thing to endorse a candidate that has body slammed a reporter. It's another thing to specifically congratulate him on said body slamming of a reporter. <laughs> Trump said at a rally, quote, any guy that can do a body slam, he's my kind of guy, end quote. <laughs> I think on a serious note, Democrats are in trouble, though. I mean, Trump has all but locked up the body slamming demographic ahead of the election. <laughs> 47, Sean Spicer, the first White House press secretary claiming that President Trump's inauguration crowd size was the largest inauguration crowd size in history. So uh, I'm literally looking at Trump's inauguration photo juxtaposed to Obama's right now. And conservatively, conservatively, Obama's crowd size is probably three or four times the size of Trump's. Now, of course, none of this matters, right? Who cares about the crowd size? The reason I love this scandal, though, is because what is more Trumpian than the very first thing that was said at the very first press conference Press conference was a blatant lie about something insignificant. In retrospect, it was the perfect way to start the Trump presidency. <laughs> 46, Trump violating the body scout oath, the, the, the boy scout oath, sorry. I actually didn't even know this story until I read it. Uh, President Trump got real political with his speech to the Boy Scouts. He mentioned election night, fake news, the supposed war on Christmas. I'm going to do a whole episode this Christmas about the war on Christmas. The loyalty of civil servants and so on. He he gave a speech to this apolitical organization and got very political. The speech was so political that the head of the Boy Scouts came out the following day and issued an apology for, quote, the political rhetoric that was inserted into the jamboree. <laughs> now, getting political to Boy Scouts wasn't enough for Trump, though. No, no, no. He actually started talking about a party he was once invited to as a young man where, quote, all the hottest people in New York, quote, were at and that, quote, only the successful people were at the party, and he got invited because of how successful he was. <laughs> Sounded like a sex party, and he's talking to Boy Scouts. 45, Trump fired Rex Tillerson, then Secretary of State, via tweet. Tillerson was so blindsided by that announcement that John Kelly later revealed that Tillerson learned of the news while on the toilet. <laughs> 44, Trump flip-flopping on Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Um, you know, I think this is memorable, but what does it prove that Trump flip-flops and has like no moral stance or, or policy positions, right? So as a candidate, Trump mentioned Julian Assange and WikiLeaks positively at least 164 times. And of course, that was when WikiLeaks was leaking damaging info about Hillary Clinton. Fast forward to President Trump, not candidate Trump, President Trump, and he has gone radio silent about his buddy Julian. 
Then in November of 2018, it was accidentally revealed that there was a pending charge against Julian Assange in the United States, further proving that Trump doesn't give a shit about Julian Assange or WikiLeaks or transparency. He only cares about his immediate political self-interest. And once WikiLeaks stopped dumping info on Hillary Clinton, Trump oversees the Justice Department that issued an arrest warrant for Julian Assange. 43, Trump failing to console the nation during the, the nation during national tragedies. Now, everyone knows this, right? Trump is not the most empathetic guy, um, not a shoulder to cry on. Some say, you know, do we even need a consoler in chief, as, as the people say? I'm pretty nihilistic about that personally. But then I read some of the specific quotes he said after tragedies. And of course, my mind always goes to, you know, what if Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama said any of this stuff after a tragedy? It would be literally breaking news 24-7 on Fox News. And it's just outrageous the things he said after tragedies. So after the deaths of 50 people in that Orlando mass shooting, Trump's tweet started with, quote, Appreciate the congrats for being right on radical Islamic terrorism, end quote. <laughs> After thousands of, thousands of American citizens died in Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, Trump once again self-congratulated on Twitter, quote, A pluses for a recent hurricane work, end quote, before then getting in a feud with the mayor of San Juan. Ugh. After the Las Vegas shooting, Trump said, look, quote, look, we have a tragedy. But what happened is, in many ways, a miracle, end quote. <laughs> oh, God. The biggest mass shooting in U.S. history was a miracle. Either have empathy or pretend to have empathy. Those are your two options. And Trump is so personally limited as an individual that he can't even fake it. 42, complaining about an election he won. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm not trying to laugh this much, but I, I can't I, – guys, I can't. I can't read this stuff without just thinking how much dumb shit this guy does. That's, that may be the episode title, dumb shit. So leading up to the election, Trump claimed that the election results, which had not yet occurred, were already, quote, rigged without, of course, explaining what that meant or why that was, right? I was actually really fascinated by this at the time. I mean, horrified, of course, but fascinated, too. How does one rig an election that hasn't happened yet? He also refused to say whether he would respect the results of the election if Hillary Clinton won. Then, on January 23rd, 2017, his first full day as president, <laughs> I remember this press conference, Trump looked into the cameras and claimed that three to five million illegal immigrants voted. And, you know, obviously there's no evidence for this. Isn't it funny, though, that Trump lost the popular vote by 2 million, and the number he happened to make up was 3 million for people who voted illegally? <laughs> That's pretty convenient, right? Isn't it also funny how literally every single one of these imaginary voters happened to vote Democratic, too? I Sometimes when he does shit like this, you know, just claim... He only lost the popular vote because of illegal immigrants. Why not? Why say 3 million? Why not just say like 10 million illegals voted? Why not say that every member of the caravan that approached our border was nine months pregnant and they were going to they were coming just in time to vote in the midterms? Like why? Like if you're going to lie, like just be like 
Just go all in on it. <laughs> 41, Trump's war on science. Okay, this is serious. We got to take this seriously. Let's look at these notable, notable positions. The first head of the Environmental Protection Agency was Scott Pruitt, who sued the EPA 13 times. Rick Perry was the first head of the Department of Energy, the very same department that he had pledged to eliminate while running for, presi- for president. Excuse me. The chief scientist at the Department of Agriculture was Sam Clovis, a radio talk show host with no scientific background. And the head of the CDC was going to be Brenda Fitzgerald, who resigned after it was revealed she bought tobacco company shares. The head of the Centers for Disease Control buying big tobacco stocks. Okay, almost laughed at that last one, but I got through it. This is science. This is the environment. we got to take this seriously. These nominations were so bizarre that you can't help but think that he's just out here trolling us, honestly, right? Rick Perry pledges to eliminate the Department of Energy. You know what would be funny? Making him the head of the Department of Energy. Scott Pruitt sued the EPA over a dozen times. You know what would be hysterical? If we made him the head of the EPA. Oh, and while we're at it, that guy who hosts that radio show, who isn't a scientist, let's make him a scientist. And that lady who's making money off tobacco, let's put her in charge of the CDC. (laughs) I mean, it has to be a joke. I'm laughing because it has to be a joke. I refuse to believe that even someone like Trump views these people as the most qualified or even semi-qualified. On top of nominating bad people to head these scientific agencies, what's also noticeable is the people he didn't hire, right? There is literally a top scientist that the government has to, uh, that the government has who offers advice about, you know, nuclear disasters, diseases, climate change, so on. This important position, which is the point position for all these programs, was left vacant in Trump's government for a record 19 months. 19 months. More than four times longer than any other president. In fact, most presidents announce who the head scientist is going to be before they're inaugurated. Number 40, and then we'll take a quick break. Trump's comments about his gut... (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> Trump once said, quote, I have a gut, and my gut tells me more sometimes than anyone else's brain can ever tell me, quote. Yes, the six-time bankruptcy declaring Trumpian instincts matter more than expertise or facts. Um, these Trump quotes, though, about his gut remind me of that famous 2006 White House Correspondence Center, the famous Stephen Colbert monologue against George Bush where he was in character and said this about politicians like Trump who rely on their gut. It is my privilege to celebrate this president because we're not so different, he and I. We both get it. Guys like us, we're not some brainiacs on the nerd patrol. We're not members of the factinista. We go straight from the gut, right, sir? That's where the truth lies. Right down here in the gut. Do you know you have more nerve endings in your gut than you have in your head? You can look it up. Now I know some of you are going to say, I did look it up, and that's not true. That's because you looked it up in a book. Next time, look it up in your gut. I did. My gut tells me that's how our nervous system works. 
Every night on my show, The Colbert Report, I speak straight from the gut, okay? I give people the truth unfiltered by rational argument. I call it the no fact zone. Fox News, I hold a copyright on that term. Number 39, the Atlantic titled this one, In Trump's World, Reality is Negotiable. The basic idea, idea here is that cabinet officials have to scramble to find facts that fit either Trump's agenda or his worldview, right? So, for example, Peter Navarro, the economic advisor, said, quote, my function really as an economist is to try to provide the underlying analytics that confirm his tuition, end quote. Think about that. Most of the time, facts lead to position, right? But for Trump, he already has his position, probably unchanged since the 1980s, like so much of him. <laughs> and he searches for the facts to justify that position. Number 38, Trump not caring about technology security. So back in 2017, Trump went outside at a Mar-a-Lago party to look at papers detailing North Korea's nuclear capabilities. He and his aides used the flashlight app on their phones <laughs> so they could read the papers outside while his wealthy patrons at his fancy club were just walking around. You know, and that's just one example. Ivanka uses private email accounts to conduct official business. Jared uses WhatsApp with Saudi Arabia's leadership. Um, and it's not just that they do these things that hackers could easily access, which is, of course, its own problem. It's that Trump also used to lead lock-her-up chants at rallies for Hillary Clinton doing the exact same thing. He does it anyway. 37, Trump refusing to visit other countries. Um, there are a lot of stats in this article about how no president has traveled abroad less than Trump since Reagan. And that was back when like Reagan was like borderline senile in his second term. But my favorite anecdote here is that <laughs> at the G20 in Argentina, he was caught on a hot mic saying, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> was he not aware that the position of president required traveling a lot or that he had to oversee foreign policy? 36, Trump stripping security clearances from his critics. Former CIA director John Brennan made a comment about Trump on CNN one day, and Trump retaliated against him by pulling his security clearance. Then had his press secretary read a list of other officials who were at risk of losing theirs too if they didn't stop being critical of him. Which, I mean, I don't know. How do you attack something from this angle, right? It could be, well, that's not how norms work, that's strong-arming people, that's forcing compliance. But I think really just proves how sensitive Trump is. 35. The Atlantic titles this one, Mueller's Witch Hunt is Good at Finding Witches. <laughs> You know, just how Trump repeatedly attacked the Mueller investigation as a witch hunt or a hoax. But the reality is that Mueller charged over 30 people in the investigation, eight of whom have pled guilty. Not to mention the 10 counts or possible counts of obstruction of justice that President Trump is accused of doing, including firing Mueller himself using Don McGahn, right? But who cares about that stuff, right? President breaking the law, who cares? 34. 34. 
Trump oversees the longest government shutdown in our nation's history. Oh, do you remember that? I remember that. Trump wanted $5 billion to build the wall. Now, why would he want $5 billion? I thought it would be 5 billion pesos, right? Wasn't Mexico paying for that, Donnie? <laughs> so the Republican-led Congress, and this is back when Republicans had control of both houses of Congress. What a scary two years that was. Um, they said no, and he shut down the government until he got what he wanted. This is a, a pull quote from the article. Quote, but the shutdown isn't just the longest. It's different in another meaningful way. Trump is the first president to weaponize a government shutdown in an attempt to strong arm uh, policy concessions from his opponents, end quote. And then after shutting down the government, which caused, you know, 800,000 federal workers to work without getting paid, he got partial funding for the wall. And then he just declared a state of emergency to divert funds from the military to build the wall. Here's, here's the sequence, because that got a little messy, right? Okay. Trump asked Congress for money. Congress, controlled by Republicans, says no. He shut the government down. Congress says, okay, here's some money. Trump says, okay, actually, I'm not asking nicely. It's a state of emergency. Very convenient. I'm just going to take the remaining money, the difference between what I asked for and what you gave me, and just take it from the military and you can't stop me. You know, just how the founders wanted it to be. 33. Donald Trump versus Chief Justice John Roberts. But first, I want to talk about a scandal in 2010. Jan Crawford is our chief legal correspondent. And Jan, it all began on a cold night in January when all three branches were gathered under one roof. That's exactly right, Katie. The president threw the first verbal punch in his State of the Union speech. He broke with tradition and lashed out at the Supreme Court for its recent decision that said corporations and unions could spend unlimited money on political ads. With all due deference to separation of powers, last week the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates for special interests, including foreign corporations to spend without limit in our election. Justice Samuel Alito, also breaking with tradition, mouthed his disagreement. Yesterday, the Chief Justice, responding to a student's question at the University of Alabama Law School, answered back. The um, image of having the members of one branch of government uh, standing up, literally surrounding the Supreme Court, cheering and hollering, while the court, according to the requirements of protocol, has to sit there uh, expressionless, uh, I think is very troubling. To the extent the State of the Union has degenerated into a political pep rally, uh, I'm not sure why we're there. Okay, let's, let's break this down really quick. President Obama, at a State of the Union, said he disagreed with the court's ruling in Citizens United, which ruled that corporations are people, that people have the right to spend money in elections because it's free speech, and therefore, corporations, even foreign ones, can spend unlimited amounts of money in super PACs and advertising, political advertising. Judge Alito is seen mouthing back, not true, during this. And the next day, Chief Justice Roberts said it's very troubling and State of the Union speeches are political pep rallies. Oh, man, what was considered a scandal in the Obama era? Well, I mean, what, have you guys ever seen... Such an affront to normalcy, to, to tradition, 
to democracy, to the rule of law, as President Obama saying that Citizens United fucking sucked. <laughs> let's now let's look at Trump. After a judge ruled against his administration in an immigration case, Trump declared the Ninth Circuit to be illegitimate, and the specific judge he referred to as quote an Obama an Obama judge because that's who appointed him. This led Chief Justice Roberts, a conservative appointed by Bush to issue a public rebuke of Trump. Quote, We do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. What we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do equal right to those appearing before them. End quote. And of course, you know, Trump tweeted an insult back at Chief Justice Roberts for that statement because uh, that's what he does. It's kind of just how it is now. <laughs> 32. Only a few more. Trump repeats Soviet-era propaganda. Ooh, I actually did know about this one. This is one of the few ones I read. I was like, oh, wow, that really happened? That dumb shit happened? At a cabinet meeting last year, (laughs) President Trump went on a bizarre rant that the Soviets were justified in invading Afghanistan in the Cold War because they were killing terrorists. (laughs) The normally friendly, or at least somewhat friendly, Wall Street Journal reacted, saying, quote, we cannot, uh, we cannot think of a more absurd misstatement of history by an American president, end quote. <laughs> 31, Trump revokes press clearances. A CNN reporter asked President Trump, do you think you're demonizing immigrants? A perfectly rational question considering that this was during the whole, you know, the caravan is coming to vote in the midterms messaging, right? The caravan's coming to murder your grandma and grandpa. Um, Trump then pulled the reporter's press credentials. Absolutely absurd. Imagine, uh, I mean, I hate to do this all the time, like, oh, imagine Obama doing this. Imagine, you know, Hillary Clinton doing this. But imagine Obama pulling a Fox News reporter's credentials because he didn't like a question. (laughs) Oh, my God. 30, last one for today. Trump blaming his generals whenever something bad happens. Two weeks after Trump took office, there was a raid in Yemen that resulted in the death of Ryan Owens, a member of SEAL Team 6. A very tragic outcome. What was Trump's response? First, he blamed Obama because, you know, naturally. Right? He said, like, the, most of the planning happened in, like, the, the twilight hours of Obama's presidency. Second, he blamed the generals who planned the attack. In an interview with Fox News, because you know, where else? President Trump said, quote, they lost Ryan, end quote. They. They. (laughs) They. The generals who serve our country. It's their fault, not my fault. I'm not sorry that I okayed the plan. I'm not sorry about what happened. But I'm taking a hit in the media and I'm going to shift that blame to the generals. So that was part one, Scandals 50 through 30, part two coming later this week or next week. Until then, enjoy.